From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. The postseason has arrived for a host of spring sports, with softball, lacrosse, tennis, and golf among those feeling the sense of urgency that comes when the number of games or matches ahead of you is no longer certain. On today's show, we've got a rapid-fire roundtable with FloridaGators.com senior writers Scott Carter and Chris Harry and the voice of the Gators' Sean Kelly to cover baseball's looming battle with Vanderbilt, lacrosse beginning their NCAA journey, tennis returning to the round of 16, golf's long layoff about to end, and the increasing impact of legalized gambling on college athletics. Then, golfer Fred Biondi joins the show to share his journey from Sao Paulo to Gainesville, how he gravitated to a game that runs counter to his culture, and what it means to return Gator golf to prominence. But first, it's time for the Gator Roundtable, presented by Pet Paradise. Pet Paradise is your complete pet healthcare destination with resort-style day camp, overnight boarding, professional grooming, and compassionate veterinary care from New Day, all located under one roof to serve pet fanatics like you. Book today at PetParadise.com, the official pet care provider of the Florida Gators. It is roundtable time with FloridaGators.com senior writers Scott Carter and Chris Harry and the voice of the Gators, Sean Kelly. Guys, we have a few uh, different sports to talk about today that we don't normally get to, but we're going to start with one that we talk about a lot, and that is Florida Gator baseball. Uh, it's, it's been kind of a, a weird road for them as of late, some ups and downs, little roller coasters, if you will. Uh, and this past weekend, uh, the latest uh, a valley in that ride at Texas A&M, um, but it leads right into a weekend where they need to hit another peak with the biggest series of the year, you could argue, against Vanderbilt. So let's talk talk about the last week in, in Gator baseball and where things stand. Yeah, Adam, I think so. I, I, all the series seem to be rather large now. Um, but unfortunately, going on the road to Texas A&M wasn't kind to the Gators. They had, to, they had a chance to position themselves um, you know, at the top of the Eastern Division standings. And while a lot of teams struggled last week, we sure did once again learn how hard it is to play on the road in the Southeastern Conference and how much difficulty the Gators hitting is having right now against left-handed pitching that throws nice breaking balls. I mean, that seemed to be the bugaboo, of, I guess, with the offense this past weekend at College Station. And sure enough, they'll go into a series with Vanderbilt and they'll see a lot more left-handed pitching and good left-handed pitching at that against Vanderbilt. Uh, the nice thing is this, as far as what lies ahead with regard to the weekend, you take two out of three and you're in a tie with Vanderbilt at the top of the East. You sweep Vanderbilt somehow at home and you find yourselves at the top of the Eastern Division standing. So it's still right there in front of Florida, but they're going to have to get their bats going again at home. And um, the good news is I think Kevin O'Sullivan feels pretty good about where his bullpen rotation is. Um He'll need, you know, solid starts across the board on the mound. And um, and hopefully tell, Tyler Shelna continues to kind of be a nice emerging story here late in the season and what he's able to do playing right field and, and hitting a little bit down in the order for the Gators. Uh, you know, one other obvious note from the, the past weekend was Jack Caglione is the new home run single season leader in Florida right. Gators baseball history. It's a remarkable feat. And, and 
Uh, again, you know, he'll he'll be hamstrung just a touch this weekend because he'll see so much left-handed pitching. But um, the assault continues, and, and we'll see, and he needs help. And Josh Rivera hasn't homered in the last 11 games. That's a little bit of concern. Um, but the Gators have been so good at home, uh, and obviously Vanderbilt has, has shown some flaws, especially away from Nashville. So uh, it's a very, very exciting weekend. It's it's one of the two biggest weekend series coming up in the SEC. The other involves South Carolina and Arkansas. That's a monster series as well. Um, so it's it's a lot of fun right now going down the stretch. Hard to believe we're two weekends left in the regular season. Yeah, you don't talk about pennant race much in college baseball like the big leagues, but if there is a pennant race, you know, it, it's going to be these next two weekends. And as Sean mentioned, Vanderbilt and Florida, Florida has got it right there in front of them. And, uh, you know, it was a, you know, whenever you lose a series on a bulk, it's not the best way to uh, come back uh, home. But that's what happened. And now, you know, win or lose on Sunday at Texas a and I mean, this was going to be a monumental weekend. Uh, for the Gators anyway. So I'm really curious to see, you know, the atmosphere out at Condra Ballpark. If you watch Florida and Vanderbilt for the last decade in college baseball, these two programs, you know, have clearly been the class of the SEC East. They both won national championships over that time. They both sent a ton of players onto the big leagues. And it's usually built around pitching and defense. And, and I think if there's one question about this Florida team, I'm still waiting to see those starters really lock in consistently. I mean, they do it from time to time, but I just think if you're going to do it, this has to be the time of year where you're getting a little bit more uh, innings out of those guys and to take a little bit of, a, you know, pressure off the bullpen, as Sean mentions, coming into kind of perspective right now with some guys developing their roles. But I still think the starting pitching is probably going to be key for Florida as the season really uh, heats up down the stretch, and especially these last two weekends. When you talk about going down the stretch, uh, some sports are already there. At the moment, softball has reached their postseason, and also we talk about sports like lacrosse, tennis, they're into NCAAs. Let's talk about the the draw for lacrosse. Uh, Ironic, no pun intended. Um, But again, another really solid season, another conference championship, and now uh, Amanda O'Leary's team will once more try to see if they can get back to that Final Four for the first time, and I believe it's it's close to a decade, is it not? 2012 was the last trip, and that was only the third year of the program, and the, you know you kind of felt that they were building to be one of those programs every year. They've been more of a uh, elite eight program. That's where they've had trouble getting past, and you know they won the AAC tournament last weekend. Now the postseason's here. They open Friday at home. Uh, in a, in a match against uh, what Jacksonville, they should win. And then, of course, they'll play against Sunday. So, um, yeah, it's that time of year where I think you look at this team, They it's very similar to some of the more recent teams. I think the key is going to be Sarah Resnick, the goalkeeper. She's a veteran. She's been here, done that. Uh, I think she plays some of her best uh, in the postseason if you look at uh, her career stats. So, We'll see how how far she can take them, but they're going to need some offense too, Adam. But uh, they're certainly, I think, a team that people are talking about. Maybe they can get past that Elite Eight hump this year. And I mentioned tennis. They're already underway with NCAAs. Now you spent some time out there over the weekend. Scott, tell us about the latest from the courts. Yeah, Florida's back in the, uh, you know, Sweet 16, if you want to look at it that way, for tennis. Uh, They won two matches at home. And on uh, last Saturday, Adam, they advanced with a, 
a big win over Georgia Tech. And, uh, you know, they're playing number one seed North Carolina up in Chapel Hill on Friday. It's the same matchup that they had last year when they were in this position. But, you know, talking to Roland Thornquist after the uh, match on Saturday, he said the big difference this year in this team, they actually are going to go up there believing they can uh, win. Last year, he said it was they just didn't have that belief. And a lot of that's built around, uh, you know, some of the players that have really gotten better over the course of the season. One of those is Rachel Gallus, who clinched the win against Georgia Tech. She's won 10 uh, matches in a row, playing the best tennis of her career. Uh, and, you know, so it's going to be a big task for them to go up to Chapel Hill and win. I think North Carolina is 31-1, but their only loss was in the uh, ACC tournament a couple of weeks ago to North Carolina State. And, uh, so, you know, they're beatable. And I think, I'm sure that's part of the message that uh, the Gators will go up there with. Yeah, one of the other spring sports, Adam, the this time next week, we'll be able to talk a little bit more about, or a lot more about, I think, will be the uh, men's golf team. will mm-hmm. be in regionals up in Bath, Michigan. Uh, that starts Monday. Um, uh, a lot of time goes by between this SEC tournament and the NSA regionals and the NSA championships, obviously. But as we spoke uh, either last week or a couple weeks ago, Florida SEC champions for the first time since 2011. Um, I wrote a... Scott and I used to throw this word around a lot, a piece, a piece last week about, that's right, that's right, about Matthew Kress, the the walk-on from California. Two subheads. With two subheads in it. That's how, that's, that's wow. how, how you know it's a piece, yes. It's, it, that is once a Once you start getting 1,500, 2,000 words, you can't, you can't avoid the piece definition. But uh, here's, a, here's, here's a walk-on from California who came out of nowhere to punch his way into the lineup and was uh, uh, just uh, pr- performed incredibly in, in the SEC, was uh, unbeaten in the three match play uh, um, uh, days, including the win over uh, Vanderbilt, number one Vanderbilt at the time. But uh, regionals, uh, Florida, it's funny, they went from rank eight, they win the SEC championship, they go to rank number 10. That's just how the the computer works. You know, I, I, don't, I, I don't know. But anyway, regionals, Florida has – not been great in the regionals um, in the past, have not been great in the NCAs, though they have gotten there, I believe, five of the last six years um, under J.C. Deacon. But uh, this is a team is, that's wired a little bit differently. It's, I think, and just talking to Ricky Castillo, one of their best players, uh, a little more team-oriented than maybe some of the past teams. So hopefully when we, uh, when we get online here in a week, we'll be able to talk about a red hot uh, Florida golf team uh, beelining its way to the NCAAs in Scottsdale uh, uh, a couple weeks after that. And to that effect, we're going to hear from Fred Biondi coming up right after this roundtable. Uh, cool story. There's so many. There's so many international Gators that people don't even know about because they aren't in the major sports. But it's one of the reasons we do this podcast is to help tell those stories. And Fred Biondi's got a great one coming up in just a few minutes. Uh, speaking of pieces, Scott, you did a piece on Sharif Floyd, bringing some Gator football into the mix. Uh, a throwback, if you will. Tell us about that and, and why people should head over to FloridaGators.com. Well, I, you know, I don't know if Chris would characterize that a piece compared to his. But uh, I will say this, Sharif uh, Floyd, you know, he's one of my favorite guys. So somebody tipped me off the other day that he was going to be back and uh, graduating, earning his degree. And, you know, he said, hey, man, it's better late than never. You got to remember Sharif was a first-round draft pick in 2013. 
uh, played some years up in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Had a knee injury where they did some surgery and it went bad. It basically uh, killed the nerve that – not necessarily killed it, but it impacted the nerve that triggers your your quad muscle. So, obviously, uh, it ended his career. And, you know, he went back home to Philly and he was just kind of lost. He did some construction work, uh, did some masonry work, and uh, – uh, one of his old high school coaches threw him a lifeline and said, hey, you want to be our defensive coordinator at a, a high school up in Philly? And he took the job. And he said it really reignited his passion for football. One thing led to another. He came back to Florida last couple of years, got his degree, and now he rejoined Dan Quinn, his former defensive coordinator out of uh, Florida, who's now the defensive coordinator at Dallas. And uh, you know, I called up Dan and talked to him and just – he said, look, man, there's a few guys I've countered in my career like Sharif. He says, this guy, I want him here with us because he can he can really make a difference with these young players. And, uh, and you know, it's a good story. Sharif came back, got his degree over the weekend, and it's one of those stories that college athletics administrators, they always talk about that option, but you realize how few guys really follow through and do it, and Sharif is the one who did it. Scott, you talked about things that are good with college athletics, seeing guys come back and graduate and, and help and teach. Um, then there's the, the bad side of college athletics, which at the moment is largely uh, a result of the introduction of more and more gambling into the sport. This has been a really hot topic for a long time, but has become uh, kind of a flashing red light after the situation with Alabama and their baseball coach, who was suddenly fired in the last week for potentially tampering with a game not exactly sure what's going on there it's a little it's a little bit fishy but the point is gambling in sports has never been bigger than it is today because of legalization across the country it seems like every other ad is for DraftKings or FanDuel or one of these things um, which always says that little disclaimer about if you have a gambling problem please call so-and-so which I don't know why you would except for all the ads they keep running telling you to gamble more but anyway sidebar um, what do you guys think about this? How do we how do we solve this problem and kind of rein this in? Or is it almost like NIL to where it's going to be so hard to regulate at this point now that the uh, the floodgates have been opened that it, it's sort of just find a way to, to avoid it as best as you can? Uh, you know, I look at myself. I'm, I was kind of naive when I got into sports journalism and stuff or even just being a sports fan. I didn't realize how many people's passion for sports is so built around gambling. So mm-hmm. many of my friends who love sports, I mean, their main interest is gambling. Mine's always been the human drama and storytelling. So once I learned that and realized how big of a business it is, and you start seeing, you know, it's been around forever. I mean, but at the same time, you start seeing these younger and younger Generation. I mean, now we're talking about with what's going on with the Alabama baseball coach. I don't know if you guys saw last night, but there's over 40 student athletes at Iowa and Iowa State now being investigated for gambling. Wow. Uh, so it's turned in here in the last week. It's become the story that dominates college uh, sports headlines. And I think we all knew that was possible when when college sports in the last couple of years started getting in bed more and more with gambling companies. I'll be interested to see if if that is rethought or reconsidered. But you asked, how do you solve it? I don't know. I, obviously, number one to me is you've got to educate uh, these young people, uh, you know, 17 to 22-year-olds. 
about how serious this is. And, you know, Sean and Chris can speak on this too, because we all work at the UA. We all get compliance emails every Monday about what you can and can't do in college athletics in regard to recruiting, gambling, every topic uh, under the book. But, you know, I understand where college sports was looking at. and It's another revenue stream that wasn't there in recent, until recent years joining these uh, relationships with the gambling companies. But I think now it's probably best to, to at least be reassessed. I don't know if they're going away. I don't expect it to because we know how how money works in uh, in sports and in real life. So, But I do think these are kind of alarm bells that have been going off the last week that uh, the leaders of the industry on both sides probably need to, to readdress some things. And one thing I've learned about this, guys, I didn't realize that even like the SEC, they have these organizations that actually monitor this stuff 24-7. And that's how this came to fruition with the Alabama baseball coach. So I think that's that's good to learn that when they went into these agreements, they hired these other companies, third parties, to keep an eye on this stuff. So it seemed to have worked in the Alabama case. You know, gambling on sports is as old as going to get popcorn at the concession stand <laughs> at the ballpark. I mean, this has always been around, and Scott kind of laid that out for you. But I, I do think this, for so long, it was in the dark or it was illegal and in the shadows because it was not – you know, readily available on your phone or your tablet or in the majority of states in the country. So maybe the benefit now is that this is easier regulated and easier tracked. And I think we're seeing the result of that now, um, you know, because, yes, it seems like all of a sudden we must have this explosion of sports wagering either done by college athletes or around college sports. Guess what? The, the, that's It's not grown. It's always been there. We're just able to see it, I think, now in a much different light or we have better ways of finding it. And so I don't think this is an isolated case. We're going to see more of this. Um, it is unfortunate. I remember, you know, back when I was in college, guys that I went to school with, whether they were playing or not, they, they knew of a bookie, they knew, you know, the ways to get it done. And now it's just so much easier for young people and so many more States are, are involved that, there's probably maybe there's more temptation than ever before. I would say that it's interesting though. Um, you know, MLB can fence me off from watching when I lived in new Orleans, I couldn't watch Houston Astros games, even though I live five hours from Houston, but there are ways to fence off these things. We already have um, a lot of things that these young people have to sign and agree to in order to be a scholarship athlete and whatnot. I don't know. Do we, do we fence off players and coaches from, you know, using these apps? Is there a way to do that? I mean, the technology is certainly there. Um, there might be a way to stem that tide a little bit in that, on, on that front. But it's unfortunate what we're seeing. Obviously, those numbers are big with regard to what's going on in, in Ames, Iowa and, and Iowa City. But, you know, there's, a, there's already one coach who's lost his job over this, whether it's because he couldn't control a situation in his program, or he himself was directly involved, no one seems to know. By the way, banner year for Alabama athletics, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, um, how about that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, that's a total sidebar. Sorry, guys. Journalism, newspaper term there. Um, <laughs> We've heard it. Yeah, I, I, sure. used it I used it a second ago. Yeah, so sidebar, subhead, and piece have all been used. <laughs> yeah, Cheers everything. to newspapers. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
anyway, I, I could ramble on. I could go a long way on this. You know, I when I came into the NBA in 2004, you know, around that time you had the Tim Donahue situation. I mean, I had to sign documents and attend meetings and courses and all this about gambling. I, I was not even allowed as an NBA team employee to set foot in a casino. Um, then it became I couldn't even set foot into a sports book. And now we have casinos in the building. There are stadiums and arenas now with casinos in the venue. So The call is coming from inside the house. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, the arc is unbelievable. The one thing that's stayed there, as I mentioned, since popcorn is, you know, gambling on sports. And we have to keep the integrity of the game. So this stuff has to be policed. It has to be regulated. And it's time for the policing and regulation to catch up with the technology and the speed of these games being wagered on. Every time I see the disclaimer, uh, if you have a gambling problem, <laughs> dot, dot, dot. I, I have a gambling problem. When I gamble, I'm bad at it. That's my problem <laughs> Uh, it's funny how we're having this discussion and I, I just, it just, I always try to relate it back. Think of what gambling did to Teddy DuPay's career here. Um, he's, he was, he was a fantastic player, the all-time scorer in the history of the state of Florida. Uh, he scored in his last game as a Gator, I believe in the O-Dome, he scored 27 points and Florida won the, won the SEC against Kentucky. Uh, he never played for the Gators again after that NCAA tournament, uh, because, mentioned earlier people knew bookies i mean you heard about bookies or something he was he was friends with one and it and it came back to bite him you know, hey uh 1989 i remember watching monday night football and dan deardorf comes on and reads a, a a report about how four gators had been suspended for betting on football games it was fantasy football i believe back in the day so it has uh, a reared its head prom prominently for university of florida at certain at certain times over the years so um, I don't know if you could ever, I mean, yeah, you could, there's ways I would think, uh, with, through automation or whatever to lock these guys out of, um, draft Kings and all that stuff. But, um, these kids, you know, socialize and, and, and see people like that. So it's, it's been a problem and, and I'm surprised we don't hear about it more often the way it's the way they've made it so easily accessible. Yeah. And, and think about the way we're seeing an impact athletes in the NFL. I mean, let's go back to Alabama, right? Calvin Ridley. Alabama, Jameson Williams, Alabama. Alabama. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on right now that is uh, a little bit seedy and based on everything that we've uh, unearthed here, does not seem like that's going to change anytime soon. So we try and live the best way we can within this weird reality in college sports that we're going through a period of great, great change. Um, but one thing that doesn't change that's consistent is the three of you guys here on the round table with us. So thank you for being here as always. And we look forward to talking to you next week. Thanks, Adam. All right, Adam. Thanks. Thanks, guys. If you assume most South American kids naturally gravitate to soccer, you aren't wrong, but there are always exceptions to rules. Fred Biondi is one of those outliers, as the Brazilian dabbled in football, but ultimately became fond of the game of golf thanks to a generational legacy, which he detailed when we spoke to him just after the team's triumph at the SEC Championship. I'm from Sao Paulo, Brazil. Uh, I grew up in the city. I have a brother, a younger brother. He's two years younger than me. And uh, I moved to the United States when I was 15. But mm -hmm. until then, I, uh, my whole family uh, lived in Brazil and, and uh, lived with both my parents. And they, they still live in Brazil. They're kind of back and forth. But yeah, the rest of my family is still in Brazil. So 
uh, I go back whenever I can. Hmm. So we're, we're talking to you today because of what you've accomplished on the golf course. And I don't think many people immediately associate golf with Brazil. So I guess just can you tell us a little bit about the golf culture down there and, and how you got into it? There's almost no, no golf in Brazil. It's very traditional for soccer and other sports, but mainly soccer. And uh, golf is almost uh, non-existent. There, is, there are probably 200 golf courses in the country. And just in Florida, there's 2,000. Wow. So it's, it's very little golf in Brazil, but um, there's not that much competition. But it's, it's growing slowly. It is. But it's still a very expensive sport, and uh, there's almost no supply of clubs and balls and like even clothes and stuff about like for golf. So um, it's it's something. It's a sport that's very small, but uh, slowly growing. So, given all of those factors, how did you get into it? What was your what was your entry point? And then once you did get in, what kept you going? If there wasn't really a, a culture of golf around you that would encourage it. So my grandfather had a golf course himself. Uh, he had like a like a weekend house, like like a place three hours outside the city, and he built the course. He was always loved the sport, and he had a lot of land, and he built a twelve hole golf course with like a clubhouse and like a pretty legit place. And um, that's where I first hit my like first golf balls ever, and I was about three or four, and um, I have like like little flashbacks from the place, but the place doesn't even exist anymore. Wow! So I started then uh, with him when I was three or four, but then honestly didn't grab a club again until I was like seven, and um, because he sold the place and uh, I didn't really like have a place to play and. Um, once I started again, I, I joined this club because of him. So I used to go play every Wednesday uh, with him and have like lessons and just more like a, like a kid thing, like, like spending mm -hmm. time with him. And it was more for fun than like actually practicing. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I loved it. I loved it since the beginning. Uh, I grew up playing a bunch of other sports, but I don't know. Golf just kind of meant something different for me. Um it was something nobody did, and I liked it. Then kind of went from there. Were you instantly good at it? Because I think that that's one of the biggest challenges with golf. It's what keeps me from getting out as much as I, I probably could and should. Is Because when you're not good at something, it's hard to get motivated to do it. And golf is so hard for so many people. So did you, did you just immediately have a knack for it? Or did you have those same kind of growing pains, but you just stuck with it? I wasn't very good at it, no. I mean... Um, I started pretty young. So like as a kid, you just kind of mess around, right? You just grab a club and you hit it. And I didn't really know much about it. Like I didn't know the right technique. I didn't know uh, what, how to properly practice and stuff like that. While a lot of kids, especially in the States, have already coaches and, and, and people in like a practice schedule and stuff. And I used to only practice once a week until I moved to the States. So like I wasn't very good at it. But I was good enough to win tournaments in Brazil because the competition was so little. Mm -hmm. So um, I would like win like this the the club championship for juniors. I would win like this like I would play well in like national tournaments, but I wasn't playing against very good players. So I realized I wasn't that good 
when I moved to the States for like, I was supposed to come for six months, um, more like a study abroad deal when I was 14 or 15. Then I realized I'm like, damn, like I'm not that good. There's a lot of kids beating me and um, I, I have to get better if I want to play this and do this for a living. So when you came to the States, you said you were about 15 and it was almost to study abroad, but that's, that's before college. So what mm-hmm. was, what was that program that, that got you here and, and how did you become interested in it? So I first came to the States for one month alone, like a summer camp when I was mm-hmm. 13 and it was a family friend. Um, he ended up playing, he played tennis and he played for Stanford, uh, Harvard for uh, I don't know, three or four years played pro, but he went to this academy and it was very good in tennis. There's a, there's a lot of really good players practicing there and um, kind of gave my parents that name. And I was been interesting, like kind of become better at golf and, and learning and just kind of knowing what to do more. And I went for this like a summer camp for a month alone uh, when I was like 13. And then when I was 14, I told my parents that I wanted to stay for six months and do like a, like a study abroad, kind of learn English a little better because uh, he wasn't very good at the time and become better at golf. And I moved to the sports academy with like, it's almost like a boarding school. Um, mm. I mean, I used to like live in a dorm. I used to eat in a, a dining hall. Uh, I had roommates, like I had a practice schedule and had to go to class. And the culture was very different, but I, I loved it. I, I think it was, it was really good for me. It made me grow and become more mature very fast. And this year, this, this semester was ending. I asked to, to, to stay a year and my parents allowed it. And then this year was ending. My parents wanted me back home and we went back and forth, like trying to understand like what are the, the ups and downs for me staying and ended up I ended up staying and never came back so mm. I came for six months and I never never came back to move to Brazil wow what were the challenges being that far away from family while you're still pretty young I mean you're 14 15 or you said even 13 when you started coming over how how difficult was that to be so far away from home at a pretty I mean that, that's a that's kind of a a transformative part of your life too so what, what were some of the challenges and how did you overcome that um Definitely missing family a lot, friends especially, um, the culture. Uh, yeah, it's tough. There's times there. There were times there was, was very tough, but um, like I didn't have like my mom and my dad to like be there for me when like I needed help with something, or I didn't have friends like my friends that grew up since I was very little to like hang out with. But that made me like kind of leave this comfort zone and like leave this bubble that I had in Brazil and like I had to make new friends I had to make new friends from different countries and different cultures like I had to like live on my own like make my bed every morning I had to <laughs> make like do my laundry if like like every week like like mm-hmm. all these little things that like I would like I wasn't thinking about it when I was home in Brazil like I had to start doing it on my own and kind of made me grow very fast and um kind of shaped me up a little bit but yeah, I mean, there was times it was tough. Like I would call my parents and like, damn, like I, I, I miss you guys so much. And when can you guys come up here? Because it's far. Like it's eight hours uh, flight. It's expensive. And yeah. so um, I'll go home like, like twice a year uh, when I could because like over the summer, like I still had to play summer golf 
and um, it's it's just it was tough. But I think like um, FaceTime and all this stuff like it helps. So it wasn't it wasn't as bad as as many people think. So you're at this boarding school, you're playing golf, and then you get to the point where it's time to make a decision about college. Did you know you wanted to play in college? And was Florida instantly the place you wanted to go? How did you end up at, at UF? So when I first moved, like I wasn't that good, like good enough to play a high level D1 college. Um, I started playing better, probably like in the sophomore year in high school. And when I when I I won a couple of big events and I got recruited by a bunch of schools and while I was doing visits and, and learning more about the schools, like I decided that I wanted to play college golf in America. Like I was like, what, what's the place that's going to make me the best person in golfer I can be. And I went to many visits. Like I got a lot of offers for different places and I just felt like Florida was home. Like I just felt like coach JC um, and the teammates at a time at that time where, where the culture was more similar to how I grew up at. Um, I thought that the coaches here were a great role model for me on and off the course. And I thought that moving here and, and playing golf at Florida was going to make me the best player I could be. Mm. And I had a lot of other schools with like really nice facilities or um, schools winning national championships and stuff like that, which at the time Florida um, wasn't. But I just felt like that was the right place for me, like, uh, coach JC and um, Mark at the time I just thought that that would be the place that they would mentor me the best and I chose Florida. Since making that choice and being where you are today I'm curious in, in what ways has JC has the staff developed you and, and helped you grow into the person that and, and the player that, that you wanted to be? Um, JC has helped me a ton like he shaped me a lot off the course just as a human like manners to how to um like behave in, in certain environments and people how to like talk and and uh kind of present yourself to people at, in the golf world and, and kind of show me around off the course a lot and on the course too like i always grew up because i moved to the sports academy where i had supervision all the time right like i had um like a swing coach watch me hit like every day I became a very mechanical guy. Like I, I still am, but um, I would always be so focused on my technique and, and so focused and try to make everything perfect. And as many people know, like in sports, like when you're out there competing, like you can't be just thinking about your technique. You can't be thinking about uh, little things. Like you have to go out there and like play, like you have to play the game. Right. And um, he had, he helped me understand really how to play golf. Like I, I thought I knew how to play it and, and, and stuff, but he kind of took me to another level by showing me how to how to execute shots at that, what shots to pick and to hit at that time, or um, how to really practice and become better. Because I, I knew all the like technique stuff and I knew all the mechanical stuff, but the game itself, which I thought I didn't know, I, I didn't. And he helped me a ton on that. Being one of the the top amateurs in the world means you get to play a lot of different courses. I'm curious your favorite course that you've played and why. Or there could be multiple ones, but what what comes to mind? It's tough. It's a tough question. I mean, I've 
we were talking about it last year, just with UF, like we, we went to a bunch of different states to play um, because of tournaments. And we kind of go a day or two ahead just to play a course at, at the, mm. at, around the area. And I mean, we played um, um, Butler National, um, which is probably one of the best golf courses in the country. It might be one of the hardest golf courses in the country. Um, we played uh, Calusa Pines uh, in Florida and Naples. Um, we got to play Whisper Rock. There's so many places that's like without Florida, like I would never be able to get out there. And it's mm-hmm. like you go out there and how you treat it and, and the place, you almost for a golfer, like you seem like you're in heaven. And um, it's awesome. Like I appreciate that a lot. And um, we, we're pretty lucky here. What courses have you not played that you most want to play? Mm, it's a tough question. I never played Pebble Beach, which is like mm. a like a traditional like golf course, right? Mm-hmm. Never played Augusta National, um, and I think those two are like up there for sure. There's plenty others, but I think like by their names and and what they mean to the sport, like I think that that those two will be like top of my bucket list for sure. Being again a, a internationally ranked amateur golfer means you've had chances to play in a lot of different places. I'm curious, not the course. What's the most interesting place that golf has taken you around the world? I've been to almost every country in South America. Um, played a lot for Brazil and representing my country. Um, so a bunch of places in South America. Um, been to a bunch of islands like in the in the Caribbean. Um, been to Geneva uh, in Switzerland. I've been to um, Blackpool in England. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like there's just Canada. I've been to Canada. I've been to um almost every state in the united states like there's, wow. there's so many so it's cool uh i've been to a lot of countries in different states and um it's awesome but a lot of the times like it's hard to really know the place and get to know the place well because you're kind of going hotel golf course golf course like golf mm-hmm. course hotel or there's it's sometimes you have some free time where you can like kind of get to know and i'm i'm that type of person that like if I'm in a country like that, like I would love to get to like know the country and like because it's kind of like a once in a lifetime experience, right? Um, mm. So not many times I'm gonna be in like the middle of nowhere in Argentina and get to know like their culture and I and I, and I love it. So um, I think that whenever I can, I go out of my way to like get to know the places. But I've been kind of everywhere, honestly. Mm. Uh, are there certain athletes that doesn't have to be golfers, but but certain athletes that you look up to and you admire and uh, and who and why? Who is on that list and why are they on that list? Obviously, like there's Tiger Woods. He's a golfer and kind of like a role model, just kind of what he did to the sport. But I mean, I can go down the list like like Senna. That was an F1 driver, Brazilian, mm-hmm. like Neymar, Brazilian soccer player. Like soccer is kind of a big part of the culture that I grew up in and it's something that like, I still love to play and, and love to watch. Um, but I mean, there's just like, like Roger Federer, like just so many, there's, there's a list of athletes that like I admire. Um, and I can't really tell my favorite one, but, uh, almost like in every sport, there's somebody that like, I look up to and I'm like, yeah, this guy, like how, like I almost asked myself, like, how did he get there and all the stuff that he did, they, that they did. And there's, there's a lot of them, but those that just name right there kind of come up to mind. One name, and I'm, I'm sure it's on a, a lot of golfers' lists, is uh, is Ricky Fowler. 
And I know that, that last year when you qualified for for your first major as an amateur at the U.S. Open, you actually secured the final spot over Ricky Fowler. Uh, how, I mean, when you hear that now, is it is that just surreal? And, and was it strange at the time having that experience? Yeah, it's it's crazy because it's like, like if you go like on my social media, like in 2015, like or 2016, 17, when I was in my academy, like I was watching him and posting about him like on my Instagram. Like mm-hmm. I'm watching Ricky Fowler. Like this is awesome. Like my favorite PJ Tour player growing up. Like he was always that cool guy that everybody liked. Like super like great personality, super nice to the fans. And um, I don't know, like even like it's funny because that that qualifier, like I'm warmed up on the range, whatever whatever day it was, like it's 7 a.m. and I'm hitting balls and. I look back, there's a couple of cameras, like, which is kind of weird because it's just a, it's a qualifier. It's a US Open qualifier, but it's in like a private course in Jupiter, Florida. And not many people know about it. It's just kind of, it's more low key than, than what people think. And uh, there's a bunch of cameras and I'm looking back and I'm like, what's going on? And then he pulls up and starts hitting balls next to me. And I'm like a, a little bit of a, like a fan. Like I'm just watching yeah. it. Like I'm kind of more focused on him than me at that time. And, <laughs> And uh, I have my friend in the bag, and we're we're just talking like this. Honest, I was telling him like, kind of sucks for the guy. Like, dude, it's like seven thirty a.m. Like, there's cameras all over the guy, and I'm just like, this this sucks. But um, <laughs> whatever, we ended up playing, and it was thirty six holes in one day. Like, you don't see each other because they're different groups, different holes. Like, and then I finish up. And I signed for three under. It was playing really hard. And I signed for three under. And I look at the leaderboard. And he's just making birdies coming in. And he's at two under with one to go. And he just birdied 16, 17 to get a two under. And he hit it to like six or seven feet on 18. And like, I always cheer for that guy so much. And me and my friend are sitting there looking at him. And he has like a seven footer to tie me. And if he ties me, we go into a playoff, which is some death playoff. We're playing until somebody beats each other. And he has like this seven footer for birdie. And I'm just looking at my friend. I'm like, honestly, like, I love the guy, but I, I don't want him to make that. Like, I've never, <laughs> like, I've never cheered like the opposite for for a person. And right. he's, he's over. I'm like, I don't want to play a playoff against Ricky Fowler. Like, that guy, like, it's been um, like an idol to me, but still, like, I can't. And he ended up not making it. And, uh, but he was great. Like, um, I got to like talk to him a bunch after it and um, he um, ended up playing a playoff for, for an alternate spot for the U S open. And like, I watched him and he was, he was super nice. He was, he was the best. And um, it's very cool. I mean, it's, it's definitely something that like I can, I can tell people and stuff, but it's a, it was definitely a cool experience. Hmm. Are there other guys you've had a chance to interact with as a result of, of playing in majors or being around big events? I mean, Ricky Fowler is obviously a pretty cool one. Are there any other big names that you've had starstruck moments with uh, around the course? Yeah, I mean, it's Billy Horschel. He's our volunteer mm-hmm. assistant coach here. And uh, everyone knows, like everyone knows who Billy is. He's like a big star on the PJ Tour and he has helped us a ton. And I remember a couple of times that like I was kind of shocked talking to him and stuff. But now um, he's, I mean, part of the coach, I respect him a ton, but like, I get to I got to play practice rounds with him and play a bunch here at Florida, and he's the best. And we um, got to talk a bunch and pick his brain a little bit. But um, yeah, I mean, 
plenty of guys. I mean, I played with Joaquin Neiman and uh, Mito um, when I played the pra- couple practice rounds there. And um, even other guys that I played in college golf that are now like star on PJ Tour. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah, you, you get to interact with these people, but um, pretty much all of them, like I've never had a, a case of a guy being arrogant or anything. They're all super nice um, and, and they're just great people. When you have time away from the course, what do you enjoy doing? Just hanging out with friends. Uh, I like working out and doing like playing other sports. Like I would love playing like pickleball or golf or, or soccer. Um, just, I don't know anything really. Like I like going outside. Like I, I don't really like staying inside much. Like if I go like wakeboarding or anything, like I just like being outside and, and or hang out with people. Like I'm pretty um, like social guy. Like I just kind of, um, kind of like taking my, my mind off golf a little bit. Uh, so whatever, honestly, like I'm pretty laid back with that stuff. Mm. Uh, besides family, that's the obvious one. What else do you miss most from home? And are there ways you try and, and replicate it in Gainesville? Like, is there food you can't get from home, but you found somewhere in Gainesville that sort of can, uh, can mimic it? Yeah, definitely food. I miss food from home a ton. Like it's, uh, I tell people how much better it is and people don't believe me. Just, <laughs> I mean, I'm biased for sure, but um, yeah, food. Uh, and then, yeah, there's a couple, couple Latin places in Gainesville that I don't, I haven't really found the Brazilian place that I would like, like to go in Gainesville, but uh, there's a couple Latin places and a couple like smaller restaurants that, um, but all Latin food that, yeah, they reminds me more of home for sure. Hmm. And, but that's kind of mainly it. So when I think about Brazilian food. I think about Brazilian steakhouses because that's the thing here. And mm-hmm. that is that actually are there a lot of restaurants in Brazil like that where you come in and they just serve you unlimited meat, or is that just the thing that Americans have created that we think is Brazilian? Yeah, I mean, definitely not every restaurant is like that. There is <laughs> there, there there are some for sure, but they're not. It's it's not like every restaurant or or there are not many. Like there's Brazilian steakhouses, like there's steakhouses in america mm-hmm. but um i don't know why it became so traditional here but it's um it's not as common as people think in, in brazil but um yeah our, our food is very similar to kind of latin american food if you think about it like a lot of mm-hmm. rice beans uh meat chicken or whatever like it's it's very what people think would be like simple but it's i i love it so if, when you go to one of these Brazilian steakhouses, I don't know if you do, but do you go in and think, oh, man, this is like home? Or do you think this is a, a sad attempt by Americans to think that they know what food is like in Brazil? I mean, both. It depends <laughs> which like it depends if you go to like a good one or not. Like, right. But yeah, it, it reminds me of home because of like the, there's little things that like are kind of like Brazilian. Like there's that a cheese bread, which is. People call it cheese bread here. It's it's kind of different, but um, some places they have it or the way like, I don't know, just a couple little things in, in the mix there that are Brazilian. It kind of reminds me of home. But I mean, the the cuts of the steak, yeah. But it's just, um, yeah, yes or no uh, to okay. answer your question. Like there's the things that do, but there are things that I'm like, yeah, this is kind of made up. But yeah. <laughs> this is the this is the, the theme park version of Brazilian food. <laughs> um, a couple final things for you. 
Uh, most recently, when you guys were on the course, you won the SEC championship, which is something the program hadn't done uh, in about 13 years. What did that mean to you and your teammates? Because you guys weren't here a decade plus ago. It was a whole different time for the program. But what does it mean when you accomplish something historic like that within the context of the Gator golf team? It means so much. Um, and it's something that like a lot of us promise our coaches and I'm going to get this program a ring or um, we're going to do something special by, by my four years here. And it's really hard to do uh, in golf too. Like there's the SEC super competitive in golf. Like almost every team can win every year. And um, they have what, 14 teams or whatever in the SECs and let's say 10 always have a chance to win. And, and the hard part about it, it's, um, in golf, kind of anything can happen. Like you don't see uh, that much domination in golf as much as you see in other sports. Like um, if you win 15% of your events on the PJ Tour, you're like a Hall of Famer. Mm-hmm. So like it's 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 tough because it's one event per year and it, it the regular season does not matter. Like it's everybody tees up on, on that Wednesday or whatever it starts, like in equal shots, like having the same chance of winning. And it's kind of like sticking together and like performing at the right time. And um, it's a long week. We played three rounds of stroke play to qualify to the uh, match play part portion Mm -hmm. of it. And then like it's one-on-one and like you, you, the team can be playing so good, but the other team just kind of gets a couple good breaks here and there. And Mm -hmm. that's it. It's over. Like you can't, you can't win it. And um, we gave ourselves this opportunity uh, to uh, last year and we lost in the finals against Vanderbilt. And then this year when we got to the finals to play Vanderbilt again, we're all looking at each other. I'm like, like, this is a dream scenario for us because it's kind of like a revenge and we respect Vandy a lot and all those guys. But um, it's something that like it almost was like we were planning this since we got back from SECs last year. We're like, we're going to work so hard and we're going to be in the finals against Vandy next year and we're going to beat him and like this time we worked our way it could have easily not um but i feel like all the reps we put in and all this stuff we we did back home kind of paid off at the right time but yeah it was it was amazing great Mm -hmm. feeling and a lot of tears and a lot of happiness going on and it was definitely like something that like i would cheers forever the weird thing about the schedule is you win scs and then you have this three-week break before you get to NCAAs. So I'm, I'm curious, what have you guys been doing to stay in the right mindset, to stay engaged to where you can carry that momentum and make a run now at, at a, a national title? We, we had a meeting two or two or three days after we, we got back and um, we definitely celebrated after that win and, and stuff. But we know that the job's not done yet. Like there's still a month left uh, and it's my last month at Florida and for a lot of the guys too, our lineup is a bunch of seniors and um, we know that we're trying to make the best out of this year because we have a great opportunity. And um, we sat down and we were like, we can either celebrate this and just kind of whatever, or we can just put our heads down and get back to work and work harder than everyone else and try to make a run in nationals. And um, that's what we've been doing. I mean, all the guys are out there. We've been having practice. Like we've been, grinding really hard like all the guys and even the guys that are not even going to regionals or going to nationals like the guys are red shirting like they're here working like working their butts off like working hard and pushing everybody to become better 
and we uh, we've been doing a great job and everybody's very like united and definitely happy because of the win but we know that that's in the past and like we still have to qualify through regionals like we still have to play good there and um it's 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 the job is not done and we um we all know that you mentioned being a senior and a lot of the guys also come to the end of your, of your time um, what, what's next for you? I, I know the focus right now is on, on wrapping up your college career, but, but once this, once this is over, what, what are your plans after that? Play pro golf. And, um, once I'm done with UF, I'm going to stay in Gainesville until August, uh, until my lease is done here. And, uh, I will be playing pro golf. Uh, and this, there's new PJ to you thing that like, uh, will place you on a tour, depending how you finish on your class um helps a ton like i'm gonna have a job by the end of the um by by the beginning of the summer like i'm mm. gonna be playing on the corn ferry latin canadian or pj tour and um then it's kind of game on like i'm on my own like i don't have my teammates or anyone I'll have my back but that's kind of like a, a dream of mine since i was little and uh i'm definitely lucky to be living it so um yeah once once nationals is done and um Everything at UF, it's it's done, and I'll be turning pro and, and playing uh, against the big guys. Hmm. Well, Fred, we wish you a lot of luck as you uh, pursue not just this national title, but also everything that comes after. So thank you so much for your time, and uh, Gator Nation appreciates you. Thank you so much, Adam. Appreciate it. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe to Gator Tales wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review to help us continue to grow. Be sure to keep track of all of the orange and blue action by visiting FloridaGators.com, then come back here every Thursday during the athletic season for an all-new episode. Until then, I'm Adam Schick. Thank you so much for tuning in to Gator Tales. Gator Tales.